0: You are listening to the Living Way Church Podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. How are you today? Wonderful. Well, uh, I heard Sean did an awesome job last week. If you were out last week, then you missed a dynamic service. Sean kicked off our series, Beautiful Tension. And we are talking about the tension between, uh, well, God, man, uh, Christmas, uh, reality, that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, much um, much of the world has a problem with Jesus. I mean, we don't really want to... We'll talk about church. We'll talk about God. But we won't really talk about Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God. He lived a very human life. Uh, he taught more than just about love. But he lived a selfless life. And he boldly called others not only to follow his example, but to follow him. And Jesus performed incredible, logic-defying miracles. He raised the dead. Uh, He he himself came out of the grave alive. He didn't even prevent his own painful death. Of course, his resurrection is heavenly ascension. I mean, there's so much about Jesus that that we just kind of take for granted. And we just kind of say, "Ah, yeah, sure, I kind of believe it. I guess I don't. But the Apostle Paul said that Jesus was going to be a stumbling block to most people. That means he's going to be the kind of thing that's going to trip most people up. The people who say, yeah, I believe in God, but that whole Jesus thing, not so sure about that. There's this There's this tension. And, and the, the Bible says that Jesus is going to be foolishness to most people. Jesus poses problems for many, uh, maybe for you, maybe for your friends. Maybe it should be, Maybe it would be easier if we just focused on the idea of God and then we could all just get along. And, and not so much on specifically on who Jesus is, that whole Jesus thing. Would the world be a better place if we just focused and thought just about Jesus? And and if we were just to focus on just God to make everybody and everything a little bit nicer What kind of God would we focus on? Would we focus on a God who is sovereign and holy and eternal and righteous or God who is intimate and present and forgiving? Or do we focus on a God who lives forever? Or the God who decides to be in our now? Do we focus on the God who allows death or the God that speaks of eternity Do we focus on the God who dwells on high or the one who dwells within? You see, this is the beautiful tension. All these questions are the beautiful tension of Christmas. Today, I want to take a look at the tension of who Jesus is, the God who intervenes in our life, the God who steps into our life. See, Christmas is both a problem and a promise. We got to set this up before we get into this. See, Christmas is a reminder of a really, really big problem in our life. But a lot of people, they don't think they have a problem, but we all do. Christmas reminds us that there is a massive problem. That problem is sin. And then Christmas also reminds us of not only this massive problem, but a magnificent solution. The problem being sin, the promise, the solution being salvation. See, Christmas reminds us that we're sinners. And this is kind of when we get into Christmas, when we get in, when you start decorating your tree, when you put up your lights, when you are brave enough to hit the malls or the stores for shopping and and you go Christmas tree light driving and watching and putting on the Christmas music, it reminds us. It's all about the reminder that we have a problem. And that is that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's pretty clear. No one is going to heaven with a sin problem. Nobody. All of us have fallen short of that ability to be in the very presence of the glory of God. Some of you might think, well, I'm pretty good. Well, not even you. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. Everybody do one. I put your finger up. How many is that? So many the universal sign for nothing. That's what you are. <laughs> if the eyes of God... This is where we are. We are a zero because it says there's no one righteous, not even one. The universal symbol for zero. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one, not even one. There is only people with a problem. And Christmas reminds us that we have a very serious problem. This massive problem, however, presents a magnificent promise. There is a, this whole idea is the, is the core foundational issue that in, in, in the Christianity we, we call total depravity. Total depravity is this idea that you may not be as sinful as you could, but every part of you is leaning towards yourself. That means you, maybe you've never committed murder. Maybe you have. Maybe you've never stolen uh, anything, but, but, but you could. And you want to inside of you. Everything about you is leaning towards what you want, what you desire, what you crave. What, it's all about you. That's called total depravity. There's nothing in us, nothing in us if we are left to ourselves, that will turn out Good. We see this in the Bible, Isaiah 53, 6. This goes back to this problem of Christmas. Is that all of us like sheep? Cute little dumb animals that follow everything and anything. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone to his own way. That's the I want, I want, I want, and I want more. I want What will it take to get it? That's the question that we ask ourselves, and that's the problem with our life, is we have a problem called total depravity. goes on to say, and the Lord has laid on him the Messiah, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, that's the promise in response to the problem. See, today I want to talk to you about uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the third book in the New Testament. We're just going to look at portions of the very first chapter. Uh, And this is the story of God who intervenes into our problem, who intervenes into the issues, that tension of a holy God who intervenes into the sinful affairs of people. See, John, in this letter, John was one of the apostles of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was one of the 12 main guys that Jesus poured his life into. He wrote several books of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, and John the gospel of john that's what that is so we're going to look at the first chapter of the gospel of john john is writing to people who have already heard about jesus this is one of the few gospels out of the four that it's this is the only one written to believers. It's, it's written to people who have already heard of Jesus. Uh, so there is no, in this story, there's no, there's no angels declaring on high. There's, there's no stable in John chapter one. There is no shepherds out in the field and there's no wise men bringing gifts. There's no, there's no flight to Egypt and a return to Bethlehem. There's, there's nothing in John. John does not give us much foreplay, but he clarifies the wind of Christmas. Not the date, but the when. For 2,000 years, the Jewish nation was awaiting the promised Messiah. We just read a verse in Isaiah. That was a thousand some years before Jesus. And he's already saying, we have a problem, but the answer is coming. Moses said, he's coming. David said, he's coming. Isaiah declared, he's coming. Jeremiah said, he's coming. Daniel declared, he's coming. Micah declared, he's coming. Zachariah said, he's coming. Malachi said, he's coming. Every book, every chapter, every page in the Old Testament testifies to one great truth. He's coming. But he did not come the way that they were expecting. And John reminds us that Christmas is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not wishful thinking that God is real. And if you want to meet God, you must know Jesus. That's the tension of John. So one of the most profound passages of Scripture, let's start there. John 1, 1. We're going to spend some time there this morning. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was this is a strange but powerful passage. And if you're reading through this, you might go, that's kind of cool. But you also might go, what? Because what's this talk of darkness and light and life and all this? I mean, it does, it's hard to kind of really get the, the thick, you know, teaching out of this. So what we're going to do is take some time to look at these verses. This is the first thing I want you to know about the one, the one who intervenes. This child, the one who steps into our life is he is the eternal one. He is the eternal one. Jesus was not a robot. He was not an angel. And he was much more than a prophet. He was fully God, fully man. He was not half God and half man. He wasn't a half and a half. He wasn't a man filled with God, but he was God in the flesh, Fully God, fully man. I know Sean talked about that last week. Those uh, those notes are on Facebook. You can link to them off our website as well. If you want to hear last week's message, how God became one of us. Jesus sets it straight. He says, you've heard opinions. John says, you've heard other people's opinions, but I knew Jesus. This is what John was saying. I saw him. I know him. Now, let me tell you who he is. John sets the stage. Look at this again. In the beginning, that's the intentional parallel to Genesis one one. If you've ever, anybody here attempted to read the Bible before, attempted. Doesn't mean you have. You've attempted to open it up and go. I need to read this thing. Who's who's attempted to read your Bible? All right, most of you have attempted. How many of you have opened it up to page one, Genesis one? All right. How many of you got to Exodus? <laughs> Uh, very, and then we go Deuteronomy hands get uh, by the time you get to Leviticus, if you're still alive, uh, very few people get that far, um, because it gets really, really intense and strange after that point. And, uh, there's a lot of people they just give up. They, they're not sure how to read their Bible, but Genesis says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John intentionally was trying to parallel Genesis one by saying in the beginning, was the word he was basically saying in the beginning god the very word the very breath the logos the that's the word there is logos it's the mind of god it's the thoughts it's the it's the glory the ideas the voice the logos means the word of god so in the beginning were god's thoughts ideas and his voice and his word was god and he was with God in the beginning. He's always been the eternal one. He's talking about Jesus, and I want you to realize this. is that He is the eternal one. He is the eternal word. The word is God. He's saying he has always been there from the very, very beginning of all and beyond the beginning. He's God, and he's always been there. If anyone ever tries to tell you that Jesus never said he was God, just go to Genesis uh, 1, and then flip over to John 1 and say, that's the same God. Jesus is the Word. He is God. Verse 3 says, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Write this down. Jesus is the eternal Creator. He's not just eternal, but He is the Creator. So when you think of creation, uh, day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and the, the day 7 when God put his feet up and he said, you should do the same at least once a week. That was Jesus. That was, he is the creator. Jesus created all things. Verse four in him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You see in Genesis, God breathed life into every creature. He breathed life into Adam. That which was dead became alive. That was the life of, of Jesus. Write that down. Jesus is the eternal life. See, he's not, he's not just Jesus. He is God, eternal creator, life giver. He is the life. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians that that the only reason we are alive is because Jesus sustains our very life by just willing us to be alive. Genesis uh, goes on to say, verse 5, it says, This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The very first thing in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, Let there be light. That light is the light of Christ. Before the sun gave us light. Before the stars gave us light. Before the universe glowed with the reflection of their stars and the galaxy It was the light of Jesus. The light expelled the dark. That light is Jesus. He is the eternal light. Those in darkness, those dead in spirit, and those dead in their sin, Merry Christmas, Jesus is the light that shines light into the darkness of your family, your home, your marriage, your work, your money, your kids. He is the light. He shines light. The darkness mm, cannot overcome this. it says it cannot overcome it. nothing, no one can stop him. Jesus tells us i 'm sorry, John tells us that Christmas goes way, way back before Bethlehem Bethlehem is is the story, but the wind is eternity is the eternity past Jesus, the word, the life, the light, the eternal God, verse nine it says. True light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Think about this. Before the foundations of the earth. Before there was even the the, the very existence of the planet. Jesus was there. He existed before the foundation of the earth. Before 1500 years of prophetic preparation. Before nine months of growth in a womb, before that night in the most unlikely of places, the the eternal creator breathed life into his creation. And then 2,000 years later, he breathed the very air that he breathed into his own creation. And God visited us. The eternal one came. Here's the second thing I want you to realize about John. He's not only the eternal one, he's the revealed one. That means God didn't just hide himself and and try to figure out uh, and leave it to us to find him. He actually came to us. He actually intervened into our life. He actually said, here I am. Know me. Find me. As I said that, I couldn't help but think of that that song by Rat in the 80s. Here I am. Rock me like a hurricane. But here's, here's Jesus. He steps into the scene and says, here I am. Here I am. He's the revealed one. What happened that night? We call the incarnation. That's God Kinkarni. You ever had Kinkarni sauce with your Mexican food? Right? You know what that is? That's meat. I'd like the sauce with some meat. Right? I'd like some, some flesh in my... I don't just want cheese enchiladas. I want Kinkarni on top of it. I want some cheese. And I want some meat. Right? The incarnation... Is God concarny? It's in the meat. That's what it means. God became flesh. God became meat. We cannot get to God, so God came to us. Christmas reminds us that God has not forgotten us. So this is important to realize God has not forgotten you. Some of you might be thinking, well, this is all great. This is all like, this is weird stuff that you're talking about this morning. But if you can get anything out of today, I want you to realize God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten your family. He has not forgotten about your kids. He has not forgotten about your marriage. He has not forgotten about what happened to you when you grew up. He cares. He's revealing himself. He's stepping into your story. And he came to meet you. John 1.14 says, The word, that's the eternal logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see the word, the logos, God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's voice uh, became flesh. Think about it like this. Now we know what God is thinking. Now, now we know what God acts like. Now we know what his heart is. Jesus is the invisible words and thoughts of God in the flesh. You see, if I wanted to tell you what's on my mind, I might try to describe it to you. Say, say, uh, say I lived in another state and uh, all we had was email or maybe we had um, a phone. Maybe I could just call you and we couldn't, we couldn't see each other and, Maybe I wanted to tell you what 's on my mind I might try to describe it to you and and i might I might tell you to write it down i, I might I might try to draw you a picture and send it to you or um, i might I might try to try to get you to to kind of share that with as many and so that you could maybe get to know really what 's on my mind you see that 's exactly. What the Old Testament was about, you see, Jesus is the Logos in the flesh. But before Jesus, that's what God did. He said, "Hey, prophets, you want to know what's on my mind? Write it down." That's the prophets. That's the Old Testament. You want to know what I'm thinking? You know what? Know? You want to know what my thoughts are? Let me give you a picture. That's the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. God says, "You want to know what I'm like? You want to know my thoughts, my ideas?" My words, you want to know what I'm thinking? Here it is. Here's my best description of it. But we can't connect with that. We needed to see it with our own eyes. You see, in Revelation one it says that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega is the Greek for A to Z. Jesus is the A to Z of God. He is Everything. Some say, well, I would believe in God. I would believe in Jesus if, if God came down himself. Well, he did. He did. It's Jesus. John 14 says, the word, this, I, the, the thoughts, the voice, the ideas of God became flesh and made his dwelling. The word dwelling there means he pinched a tent. That means he made up, he made camp in our life. He made his dwelling among us. He pinched a tent in flesh and bone. The message puts it this way. I love this. It said the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He pitched his tent. He made his dwelling. He tabernacled with us. See, John was setting us straight. He said the the infinite became an infant. He, He said, men, God put on us. And he says, if you want to know God, Jesus says, if you want to know what he looks like, know Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, know Jesus. If you want to know the heart of God, know Jesus. If you want to know what what his ideas are about your life and about this life and about culture and about things going on in this world, he says, know Jesus, because the infinite came. He tabernacled, he walked, he dwelled among us. John 118, he says, no one has ever seen God, but, except one, but the one and only son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the father. Some translations say is from the very bosom of the father. That means from the innermost deepest parts of the father. That's where Jesus is from. He is the father made known. Jesus is the invisible God with skin on. He revealed himself. And on that Christmas morning, there was no paparazzi. There were no TV specials. There was no magical lighting of the Christmas tree with celebrity hosts. There was no parade. There was no pageant. There was no dignitaries or sold-out arenas. There was no mansions and big money. There was no flash or splash. The greatest gift of all time was Wrapped, was not wrapped in paper and ribbons, but it was just a frightened father, an exhausted mother, a dirty straw bed, rags for diapers. The infinite became an infant. Emmanuel, God revealed. And for 33 years, God pitched his tent with us. And for 33 years, God walked among us until his mission was completed. You see, Christmas Is a revelation of the problem and the promise. Is the problem we are in need of salvation. And salvation has arrived. At Christmas, there is no deeper truth, no more amazing event, no more transforming moment, no more stunning revelation, no more mind-expanding miracle than the incarnation of the Word of God. Here is the heart, not only of John's story, but of the entire Bible and of Christmas and itself. Jesus, the Son of God, came. God in the flesh. There in his incarnation, there in his inhabitation, there was his manifestation. John one fourteen says, we have seen his glory. This is talking about a guy who saw Jesus. Remember, this is, in fact, John boasted that he was Jesus' best friend. I don't know if that's true or not. But whenever he referred to himself in his own letters, he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. Like the other disciples, he didn't love them. He loved me. Right, so he always had this this gave this impression that he and Jesus were like tight, and that he was Jesus's favorite. In fact, he has himself sitting there right next to Jesus at the Last Supper because he. In, in fact, of all the disciples that deserted Jesus the day that Jesus was crucified, only one of them was there at the cross. Only one disciple of the hundreds that followed him. Only one of the twelve, and it was this guy right here. It was John, and he says, "We've seen it. We've seen." his glory we saw god the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth where jesus showed up god's glory was manifested people were healed lives were changed everywhere jesus went people we're coming back to life. People were healed. Eyes were open. Those that couldn't speak could speak again. Life was given. John 14, 9 says, the disciples were like, Jesus, show us the Father. And just say, you're looking at him right here. You want to know what the Father looks like? You look at me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, the Word. John 1, 10, it says, He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, the world didn't even realize it. Man, I wonder how many of you would realize or recognize Jesus if he walked into this room. His spirit is in this room. I believe that 100%. But if Jesus were to physically walk into this room, how many of you would recognize him? How many of you would, would I mean, you might be looking for some glowing, blazing light, right? But would you recognize him in a homeless man? Would you recognize him in the, in the humble life of someone who is not wealthy or poor or someone who doesn't seek the best parking space, would you find Jesus and someone who doesn't want the biggest piece or the last piece or someone who doesn't have to be in the front of the line, would you recognize Jesus? Because they didn't either. The world didn't even realize it. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Here's the third thing about the one who intervenes is that he is often the rejected one. He's the one that is often rejected. He's the revealer and the redeemer, but he is uh, rejected. And I want you to realize this. Many still reject and ignore Jesus Christ today. After 33 years of of encamping with us and and pitching a tent on this planet where his his toes uh, had in between his toes the very dust that he created, the very dirt, the very ground, he washed the disciples' feet of the dirt and the grime. That he spoke into existence. And after 33 years of pitching his tent, modeling his love and an example, he showed the ultimate love that he had for us. No greater love than this, than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus calls us. He calls us his friends and he laid down his life for us. He died on the cross for us. He died a very real, painful, torturous death. One of the most painful ways to die. Ever conceived by human beings was the Roman form of crucifixion. To this day, the Geneva Convention, even in times of war, outlaws crucifixion because of its brutality. Jesus died on a cross, was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And he said, come all who are weary, and and I will give you rest, but we reject him. We reject Him. 2,000 years later, we have a, a, a world of nearly 7.5 billion people and still the majority of the people on this planet reject Him. The Bible says there are so many people that reject Him that, that narrow is the way that leads to life and wide is the way that leads to death. And there are going to be few people that find the narrow way. There will be more people lost because there will be more people reject Him than receive Him. And to this day, people reject him. They they celebrate Christmas. They, but they don't celebrate the promise of salvation in Christ. They don't see Christmas for what it is. It's it's about the gifts. It's about the snow. It's about the tinsel. It's about the decorations. It's it's about presents and and caroling and eggnog and yule logs and cinnamon sticks and mistletoe. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but they 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 celebrate everything about christmas except the very promise that it is all about and they reject jesus some of you here have rejected him even though you go to church each week you go through the rhythm the pattern you're very religious you can probably tell me a lot about the bible but you've never truly received him he's not walking with you because you're the boss of your own life he is the rejected one though he is the revealed one the eternal one the revealer, the Redeemer, He is rejected. John 1 12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, those that pick up and carry the cross, those that take Him by the hand and walk with Him, those that give full access, that's what the word receive means. It means full access. It means take the hand. For those that do take the hand of Him, do receive Him, to those who Believe. The word there is an omnitemporal verb, which means to continually trust. It's not a one time belief. If you said a prayer when you were eight years old and you think that that was your ticket to heaven, you're sadly mistaken. Because salvation is a gift kept, it is not something that God will abandon you on. He won't leave you, nor will He forsake you. But those that truly are His, they're His, and they know it because they never let go. They continually trust. They rest and rely on. I've illustrated this way in in a uh, discover uh, living way. Is that I could tell you everything about this chair. I could probably build one. It's got four legs. It's got a stool. It's got these braces here. It's a real solid chair, unless you hit it with a sledgehammer. Uh, but <laughs> remember, I don't know if you guys remember that when I hit a sledgehammer and it broke, split the chair right down the middle. Uh, I could tell you everything about this chair. I could even take it to chair studies. I could lean on my chair and I could carry a chair with me everywhere I go. I could quote everything about the chair. It's got four legs and it's got, hold on, quick Bible study. One, two, three, one, two, eight. <laughs> it's got, wait a minute. One, two, yeah. It's got seven. Uh, no, just kidding. It's got eight of these pegs here. I could quote, it. see, quick Bible study, right? It's got pads on the bottom, I think, on this one. Nope, no pads on this one. All right, here's the deal. I could know everything about it, but that's... And I could even believe that one exists. See, the Bible says the demons believe that Jesus exists. In fact, they've seen him. They were there at the crucifixion screaming in terror because they knew their reign was over. Believing in something is not the same as the definition here, believing to continually trust or receive or to rely upon. Because a lot of people believe, some of you believe, this is is believing it's when you not lean on or know about, but when you rest in see my entire weight is on this chair. There's no part of me that is on the ground. I'm relying 100% on this chair to hold me up. I'm putting on this chair, the weight of my life. And when the Bible says God so loved the world that whosoever believes continually trusts, relies, rests on sets on puts their weight of their life, their sin. When you put the weight of your life on Christ and say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. The reins are off of me, God. I'm not, I'm not in control. When you rest in Christ and rely upon him, that is the word believe. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, the adopted right. You become his. He gave the right to become children of God. Born into a new family, you become His kid. You see, not every person alive is a child of God. I asked this question in our Living Living the Way course. Is everyone on the planet a child of God? And a lot of people say yes, but they're not. We are all creations of God who God loves. But only those that receive him are given the right to become children of God. So according to the Bible, only true believers in Christ are children of God. Everybody else are creations that he loves. You become, this is the last thing, those who reject him will abandon him, but there'll be those who receive him. He is the received one. Who are these people? What does it look like? Well, this is what he says. He says, they become children of God. Verse 13, he says, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Three things, it's not one thing it is. Three ways that you cannot become a child of God in one way that you can. You see, it's not about a family you're born into. It's not about natural descent. You're not a Christian because your parents are. You're not a Christian because you're born in America or you're born in Texas or you're born in the South. You're not a Christian because you're born into a Catholic family or a Baptist family or a Lutheran family or a Christian family. It's not a natural descent. No matter what your parents were or were not, there is nothing that can ensure you the right to become a child of God simply by who your parents were. It's not by descent. You are not born a Christian. It is not something that can be passed down. It's not about how you were raised. Well, I was raised a Christian. Well, at what point did you become a child of God? Well, I've always been a Christian. I always enjoy asking people, when did you become a follower of Christ? When did you become a Christian? Well, I was always been a Christian. Let me hear, listen. Nobody's ever always been a Christian. If you think you've always been a Christian, then you need to find Jesus. Because to those who receive, to those that believe, they are given the right to become a child of God. You you can't be raised into it. You must decide for yourself. It is not of natural descent. Coming with your parents, having a Bible, going to youth group, going to Kid Venture, attending Sundays, does not do it. He says it's also not of human decision. That means this isn't your idea. You can't just go, you know what? I think I'm going to start going to church. I think I'm going to start just kind of being good now. You know, I think I'm just going to try to turn my life around, try to make things right, try to do things. It's not something you can do on your own. You can't just decide to be a Christian. You know, I said earlier, you have to decide. But what he's saying here is that it's not something that you just wake up and go, you know what, I think I'm going to start doing this whole Christian thing. There's a there's this young man on uh, Facebook. He he kind of, he goes to our church sometimes. He hasn't been in a while because he's, he just woke up and decided he wanted to be a Muslim. And then he decided he wanted to be a Christian again. And then he decided he wanted to be a Muslim again. He said, I'm just kind of, I'm a Muslim now. He's never been. To a, to a mosque. He's never been to, a, he probably never read the Quran. And uh, so I'm like, you're not a Muslim dude. No matter how much you think you're now Muslim, you're not a Muslim. Oh, well, then I'm a Christian. Well, no, just the same thing. You probably never read your Bible. And just because you think now you're going to be a Christian now doesn't make you a Christian. It's not something that we do. It's not about a class. It's not something that you can go to a class, and all of a sudden graduate into Christianity. It's not about a confirmation. Uh, A baptism is not a seal of the deal. Some of you guys, well, you know what? I need to become a Christian, so I'm going to get baptized. Some of you think baptism was the seal. No, You know what the seal is according to the Bible? It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is uh, is given to those who truly become children of God. Baptism is not the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal, and the seal is only given to those that truly become children of God. So if you think you're a Christian simply because you were baptized, well, it's not based on a human decision. And then he says it's not of a husband's will. Let me explain that. It's not the will of another person. It's not uh, no one can hook you up, you know. And in that culture, it was like, well, if if you're married to a Christian, then maybe that means you are a Christian by default. You know, listen, husbands, if your wife goes to church, doesn't make you a Christian. Wives, if your husband goes to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. If you are in this room right now with a friend of yours, and you've been coming to church with them, just because you come to church with them does not make you a Christian. It's neither by marriage nor any legal document or association. Your spouse can't get you in. Your friend can't get you in. A girlfriend, a boyfriend can't get you in. He says, it's none of these things. He says, but it is this. He says, but it's people who are born of God, born of God. He explains that in John 3, 16, when he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Before he said that, just a couple of verses before, he told the same guy, his name was Nicodemus. He says, Nick, you want to know what it means to know me? No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Born again? Born again? Nicodemus thought, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. It's a faith thing like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you know, it's there. He goes, I don't understand. He goes, it's, it's, he says, it's like you're born first through your mother. And then you're born a second time through your spiritual father. And and he still didn't get it. And that's, he says, let me, let me lay it out for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse was in response to the, you must be born again verse. Three chapters earlier, he says in John 1, he says, it's not by these external ways that you can know God, but it's only through being born of God. Salvation is something that starts with God. It's conceived by God. It's fulfilled by God. It's given by God. And we accept it by God. It's not a cooperative venture. We can't even want to want God without God. In fact, John 6, 44 says, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the father who sent me draws them to me. It's not, if you're in this room and you have this tugging in your heart right now to want to know God, that's God calling you to come home. That's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to embrace the reality of Christmas. You might say, what's my part? Well, it's easy. Your part is be hopelessly lost in sin. That's your part. (laughs) Check, done. Done. Guess what? Your part's done. God's part is save you, redeem you. God alone gets the credit from first to last. This is why Christmas, this is why a baby was born. This is why he came. This is why he intervened in our life. Christmas says we are filthy. Christmas says we are dirty. Christmas says we need a savior. See, sin draws a line between you And God, I'm going to try to illustrate this with a couple of chairs. Okay. In the beginning, God, the word, Jesus, created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. There was. And he created the universe. And on the sixth day, he created man in his image. Let me move it over here so you guys can see. He created man in his image. He created us to be in relationship with him, to be in fellowship with him so that we could commune with him. He created us to be an extension of his love. He doesn't need us, but we need him. He created us to release his pleasure, his joy, his blessing, his grace, his goodness upon, because he loves us. He created us in his image. But Adam and all of us since then have decided to do our own thing. And we have turned our back on the father and we have sinned. And because the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and because the Bible says that He is holy and righteous and good and cannot look upon sin, the Father looks away from us, for our sin cannot be looked upon. This is a problem for us, because since Adam, this has been the majority of the story for mankind man in sin, in complete denial. God, in holy righteousness, trying to speak through prophets to get through to us, but it didn't work. So Christmas came, and God became a man. God stepped into the picture of our life. The infinite became an infant, took on flesh and blood, breathed the very breath that he breathed into Adam's lungs, and he walked with us and he interacted with us and he showed us what God is really like he talked and shared he revealed the fullness of God in the flesh but we did not realize it was him and the bible says that though he was with us they did not receive him so they again turned their back on Jesus while he was on this planet 2000 years ago and They took him and they crucified him because he claimed to be God. But here's what God did. God, in full view of his creation, was crucified. And he was put to death. In full view of his creation, he allowed himself. His life was not taken. His life was given. This is not, The story of how man messed up something good. This is the story of how God came to redeem something messed up. He was crucified and buried. But three days later, in full view of man, he rose again from the grave. Some of these men received him. And we have that story today. It's the Bible. But the majority of man since then has rejected him. And turned their back on him. And to this day, people are still rejecting God. And those that reject God when they die, they find themselves judged and dead in their sins forever. But God, for those that will respond to him, their life is different because this is what God does. Though we reject him, God shows up in our life and he says, I love you. I care for you. I want to work in your family. I want to work in your marriage. I want to work uh, with you at work. I, I, I care about what's going on with you in school. But, we, you know, God, I like my way. I like doing things my way. And then God will call another and he will say, I love you. I care for you. Cast your burdens upon me. Take my yoke for it is easy. And we say, no, thank you, God. I've got it. I'll do things my way. And then through the Holy Spirit, God shows up and he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we say, no, God, no, thank you. I will do this my way. But see, here's where the story gets interesting. Just like John said, to all who receive him, to all who believe, to those that turn from their sin and embrace the understanding of who Christ is, if we will turn to him, to the response of him calling out to us, those receive eternal life and become children of God. And we can be once again in fellowship with the father, the way it was intended to be. So I want to invite you to do something today. This Christmas, this tension that is the life of the world right now is a God who's patiently and consistently and gracefully intervening in our life and you're either going to be someone who receives him or you're going to be someone who rejects him. Today, how will you respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit? I want to pray for you. His incarnation, his habitation, his manifestation, and now this is his invitation. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Do you know him? You can. Let's pray. God, thank you that God you pursue us and uh, God you haven't left us. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would intervene this morning. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Livingway Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.